0: Take your Bibles. We're going to begin in the Old Testament and then turn over to one passage in the New Testament. I want you to go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament. And then momentarily we'll be turning to the book of Mark in the New Testament. And I want you to go to Malachi chapter 3. Let me say to you again, I'm glad to see you in church this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here. an honor for us to have the Word of God, be able to learn it, open it. A lot of Bible can be taught, has been taught already here today. This evening service will be well fed after meeting and such. Malachi chapter 3, it says, Behold, I will send My messenger, and he shall prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to His temple, Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And then, uh, if you would, go over to Mark, the first chapter. It's a simple turn of a few pages, isn't it, to get from Malachi to Mark. But in turning from Malachi, when you pass Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, the last verse in the Old Testament, and you went to Mark chapter 1, you passed 400 years of human history. That intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament is sometimes referred to as the 400 silent years. God gave no new prophecy during that time. Nothing was added to the Word of God. Nothing will be added now because at the end of Revelation it is completed. But at that time, there were four centuries of silence in this. You had the Old Testament still being taught that you had uh, at that point, but you did not have anything new. The last last word of the Old Testament is the word curse. And there was warning about... What happens when you follow the Lord? What happens when you don't follow the Lord? And then you have 400 silent years, and then John appears. And when John appears, it's startling to everyone involved because after 400 years, a prophet's come. He's actually the last of the Old Testament prophets because the New Testament actually takes force when Christ dies. The Bible says that there's not force of the Testament until the death of the testator. Uh, until that one who issues the testament goes forth. And so John uh, was there and they came preaching such things. And uh, this morning I'm going to speak to you on the subject of the messenger and the message. The messenger and the message. And uh, a lot of it will be out of the life here of John the Baptist, one of the most amazing studies of how God used somebody in the Bible. Let's look in Mark chapter 1. John is... Uh, is uh, Identified here, and some things are said about him, but follow along as I read aloud, please. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, we just read where it was written in the prophets Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair with a girdle of, a, a girdle of skin about his loins and he did eat locusts And wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one my year than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. As we had baptism Wednesday night and Sarah followed the Lord and Believers baptism. That's a different baptism than this baptism. This was the baptism of repentance. It was a baptism identifying that they were willing to be open and receptive to the Messiah when he was revealed. Baptism we had Wednesday is an outward testimony that I have received Christ as my Savior, and I want people to know that by showing his death, his burial, and his resurrection through the form of baptism. John is emphatically identified in the text we just read as the messenger that was foretold of in the book of Malachi. It is also in Matthew chapter 11 verse 10 and in Luke chapter 7 verse 27 he is identified as this messenger that was to come. Now, this was interesting to me and this is what started my mind thinking this would be the proper message for this church today. God does all things well. If it said to Jesus about that, he doeth all things well. He does all things well. And he perfectly fitted the messenger and the message together in the life of John. And so this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to show you scripturally some things about John that match the message that he brought about the Messiah and who the Messiah is, Jesus Christ, and what he's about, that showed up because of the life of John. Very, very important with that. Let me give you these and uh, some of these. Look in verse 1 and we're going to be here in the book of Mark. I have a number of verses written out that I'm going to read to you. When I'm reading those to you, I ask that you would focus your mind to get the Word of God with them. Then I have other places we're going to turn to together and you'll get to see them. Get them in through your eye gate and your ears as well. But I'd ask for you to get attention. You will proportionately be helped and benefited by the Word of God proportional to the effort you put into getting something from it. I have put the time, effort, and prayer uh, to prepare it for you. But you have to want it. And uh, you can. Doesn't matter how little Bible you know. Doesn't matter how new you are to the Lord. Doesn't matter how many years you've walked with God. You can be benefited from the Word of God if you decide to. And it'll help you. And so, look, at, look in verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The first thing I put down about the messenger and the message is the messenger was a preparer. He was preparing. Now, in that, he's a lot like Lord Jesus. Jesus was always preparing his disciples for what was going to come next. And by the way, he prepares us for what's going to happen next for us in our life and makes sure we're prepared for when this life ends and we we can go home and be with the Lord. And so God's very gracious like this. But the messenger was a preparer. Someone who prepared people to know the Lord. You're a witness for Christ and you're trying to tell people about Jesus. That's what you are. You're a preparer. But Christ does the saving. You're telling people about it. You're trying to, by your words, as you give the Word of God to people, by the example of your testimony, of your behavior, and your life, and your actions, those things should be in agreement. You're trying to prepare people so that they can more easily receive the Word of God. Here's the verse with it. It's amazing. Uh, There's a message prepared for the people. Uh, Mark 2 verse 17 says this, When Jesus heard it, He saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician. But they that are sick, you don't need a doctor, you're well. But somebody who's ill needs it. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the context of where that verse is and what it's teaching, it doesn't mean that there's a class of people who, whose lives are so exemplary there's no repentance needed for them at all. But Jesus was pointing out, and you read the context everything going on there, He's saying some people aren't ready to receive this message. Some people are not going to hear this call. Why? Because they don't know that they have a need. The young man you and I talked to after the service that you brought to my my, uh, uh, office after after the service a couple weeks ago, a couple, three weeks ago, um, and and you'd witnessed to him already. The real problem came down to this. It's, it just, there was, there was this roadblock for the gospel there. And the real problem came down to this. Uh, he was an analyst. He works as an analyst and had kind of an analytical mind. It was interesting. I kept trying to bring back to the simplicity of the gospel. I was more interested in talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and macro and microeconomics, but we were talking about some things in the office. But kept coming back to the gospel. And it really came down to this. Here was the whole issue Isaiah. He was not convinced by his words, by his statements, he was not convinced he was really a sinner. That's what it all came down to. He really was not convinced that he had a need. He was okay. He just needed to be a little better. No, God prepares. And the messenger was very direct. In fact, one group came to hear John. They were messing with him. He knew it. John, being a prophet... He's called them vipers. Imagine this. You think a preacher is too tough sometimes. You imagine this. He got preaching. He looked at the people he was preaching to. And he said You're a bunch of snakes. You don't get that in your every average uh, clergy service, do you? He said, He said, you vipers? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. He said, What's he talking about? He said, Show me something that says you actually want this. Because they had not come. To get right, they did not come to hear the Word of God. they came to try to catch him or trick him or bring trouble against him, and yet he spotted him right out and he said, "What you need to do is be ready to receive what God has for you. It's a preparer and the messenger was a preparer. We need to prepare people with the word of God. We need to be willing to be used of God to help people be prepared to face God. The old Scottish preacher; his name did not survive the recording of the event in history. But he had had a man who was a blacksmith in his congregation, and this blacksmith was a, a, a notorious unbeliever, not because he was flagrant in a bunch of uh, uh, vices and a bunch of fleshly activity, but he was he was a very proud, boastful man, accomplished, and 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 was very self satisfied with his religion and himself, and. Uh, when he pointed back to the point of that led to his conversion, he said it was from this preacher, a man who seemed to be a little unusual in what he did. He said the man, the, the uh, Smith, was working in his shop and working around there one day, and when he suddenly turned around, the preacher was standing there. He didn't know he'd come in. And you're talking, uh, you're going back into the 1800s here. And he turned around, and here was the preacher, and it startled the blacksmith. And he kind of jumped, and he said, "Oh," he said, "I, I didn't know you were there." And the preacher never changed tone, never said anything else. He looked at the man and said, What if I'd been deaf? And walked out of his shop. That so worked on his heart and the realization that it will be death someday, and probably with no more warning than that. And are you ready when your summons comes? Because you will stand and you will be judged. But will you be ready with the blood of Christ covering you? And so he was a preparer. Those that are well, they don't need the physician. Let me tell you something. I stand before you as somebody who needs the physician and has needed the physician. It was a good day when I realized that by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Then looking again at the the passage here, verse 3 of Mark 1. Then it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. I put this down. The messenger was a preparer. And the messenger was a voice. It was a message for prepared people. And it was a message that's clearly declared. In Acts 8, you have the incredible passage there with a fellow named Philip who's preaching the gospel and seeing revivals in several towns, villages, and such. The Holy Spirit of God specifically tells him to go to a place where there are no people. He said, go down to the place that's called Gaza, same Gaza Strip you hear about in the news right now. He said, go down to the place Gaza where in his desert... And he said, there's a man there. This man was an Ethiopian. He was a man of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And Ethiopia was a substantial power at that time. It has never been in our, our, our collective memory. But it was then, and wealthy, and, and influence and such. He had the treasury. He was over all the finances of that nation. He is obviously a proselyte to Judaism. He's an Ethiopian, but he had been down to Jerusalem to worship around the time of the crucifixion and Pentecost and that going on, these things. He's coming back from Jerusalem and he's got a Bible open. He's got, don't think of a leather bound like you have here, but he had it open. And he's reading what we now know is Isaiah 53. You didn't have the chapter divisions then. And Isaiah chapter 53 is probably the clearest, one of the clearest, if not the clearest declaration of the gospel in the Old Testament. It gives detail. Psalm 22 does also. But it gives detail of the crucifixion and does so t- uh, 750 years before it happened. Psalm 22, which gives such detail that it even talks about the bones being dislocated from the crucifixion, was written 1,250 years before it happened and gives exact details of what went on. That doesn't happen by accident. Amen. And of course, Philip, led by the Spirit, goes up to this chariot, the man traveling with an entourage. And asked the man, which what could have been an insulting question to an educated man. He said, understand us what thou readest. And the man asked a very honest question which revealed humility. He said, how can I except some man should guide me? He had Philip come up into the chariot, which tells you that's a limousine chariot. Amen. It's not one of those little two-seaters. But this is the larger one. He brings him up in there. And uh, he reads the passage from Isaiah. And the Ethiopian asked the question, he said, Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? And the Bible says that in that passage, it makes this statement Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What he needed was a voice. You see, the messenger was someone who declared. You didn't have to wonder what John was saying. And the message needs declared. It doesn't need timid timidity. It doesn't need arrogance and boisterousness. It just needs to be confidently declared by people who know their God and know the Bible and can tell people that Jesus indeed has come to this earth to save sinful man, that He died in our place, that He rose with power on the third day. It needs to be declared. It needs to be declared. It doesn't have to be uh, bedecked with ornamentation of eloquence. You don't have to have fancy words to get it out there. In fact, simple language is the best. Just tell people who Jesus is. What He did. Why He came. How wonderful He is. Tell them about the Lord. Tell them about what He did for you. You could be like that man in Gadara who was so possessed of devils that he was breaking chains and terrorizing the whole neighborhood. And Jesus said, go back and tell your friends and your family what the Lord has done for you. When Jesus came to the region of the Gadarenes in that area again, the next time there were people seeking to Jesus. Why? Because some man had went through all those cities and towns, telling them what the Lord had done. It just needs declared. I had a happy occasion yesterday. A fellow. Caught me. I was. I was. Uh, I'd, I'd stopped to get a bite to eat, and and uh, what do we say? Bite to eat. I eat several bites, actually. But I a bite to eat. And uh, truth in advertising here. And and I had my Bible open, and I was finishing things out. Uh, I say taking from my hieroglyphics to what I'm actually going to use on on Sunday, so I can. I can. Put it in proper order. And I was studying out a couple things. And uh, this fellow and his wife, I had noticed just out of my periphery that they had bowed head to pray before they ate. And uh, the, a couple things. And then he had encouraged somebody to attend a church service or something. I kind of picked up a little bit of that. Didn't think much more of it. And finally, I got done and I put notebook aside and stuff and I was eating for a moment. And and he said, uh, he said, uh, are you working on the message for tomorrow? I said, actually I am. He said, well, are you preaching on tomorrow. So I said, well, in the morning I'm going to we'll be preaching on the messenger and the message. And I said, in the evening, I said, I've been dealing with Josh, and I'm super excited about some of the things we're going to be dealing with there. And, and we talked for a minute. We found out this man was a uh, preacher. He'd been on the mission field for a little while and such. And uh, uh, I didn't know the church he was talking about. It's not here in town. But he said, yeah, he said, two months ago, he says, technically I'm retired. He says, I'm still serving the Lord. He said, but this church called and he says, down to seven people he said, they called me and said, can you just come and preach? And, and we need somebody to come in and fill the pulpit. And so he said, I went over there. And he says, we had service and such. And he said, just seven people. They were very discouraged. They had a building there. No piano player, nothing, you know. And he said, uh, he said the people said to me, he said, do you think we ought to shut this church down or, 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 uh, or keep it open? And he said, I don't know. Let's see what God wants to do. Two months ago, and uh, he's sitting there, I said, well, How's it going? He said, We had 40 people last Sunday. He's talking about people getting saved. He said, the uh, lady walked in and said, You no, don't have a piano player. I play the piano. He's some whole all different things going on. Hey, who knows? It just needs declared. And he said, he, said, I'm not, he said, I'm just opening the Bible and teaching it. We just have a message that needs declared. And uh, the messenger declared it I'm the voice. Doesn't matter what your title is. Well, I'm not a preacher. Who cares? Be a voice. I'm not a missionary. Who cares? Be a voice. Can you be a voice? When I got saved, God called me to be a voice at Shawnee High School. I had to be a voice at that public high school. A voice to those people I used to be on the wrestling teams with. A voice to those people that that I interacted with. He called me to be a voice at the places I worked. A voice where I go. A voice in this pulpit. A voice in this town. A voice in the street. A voice as we got. God wants you to be a voice. You can be a voice for the Lord. Will you be a voice? The messenger in the message. He uh, he was a voice. You can be one. You say, well, I, I have trouble speaking. Well, then speak slowly. You'll have to listen more carefully. You say, well, I, I can't memorize verses. Think you can do for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should perish, should not perish. Get it right. But have eternal life. Don't twist that that way. But well, you do that, you're going to teach more people the Bible than most of them know. Mm-hmm. Be a voice. Then as a voice, Jesus, when He sent His followers out to be witnesses, He said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto Me. You shall be witnesses unto Me. Both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and in Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Thank God for that. Let me give you some verses in the Psalms with these and the voice that God has, that God declares and God Himself declares some things. Psalm 19 will be the first one we'll see. Psalm 19. It's a declared voice. The messenger is a message which is clearly declared and the messenger which is too clearly declared. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens, look at the word, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth. And the words to the end of the world, and then hath He set a tabernacle for the sun. And it goes on, many beautiful things there with it. But He's declared it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The interdependency of the different systems. The incredible intricacies of the creation tell us there is a Creator. I have thought possibly to preach a message again. I preached many years ago entitled, the see, the the seeing eye and the hearing ear and it's and there's a passage that deals with that that show us our God's the Creator. Those two particular things in the human anatomy especially show that we could not have possibly have evolved. Because of the interdependency of the different systems that your eye cannot sustain, not even for a few moments, without the vascular system being in place nor can it sustain without the neurological system being in place. And I go into detail in there about the interdependency for those things that even exist, which completely contradict a slow process of coming together. It all had to be there. And that's the way the systems work. And when we look, we see God, the Creator. God who made all things and by whom all things consist. And so it declares it's a strong voice. By the way, that's often where if someone is dealing with a people or a people group, which we have in this nation, by the way, who have zero knowledge of the gospel, you wouldn't have to walk, watch this now, you wouldn't have to walk very far distance at all from where I'm standing to find someone who has no knowledge of God as a creator, no knowledge of who Adam and Eve are, no knowledge of anything Old or New Testament, none. Over 40 years ago when I began preaching the gospel, we used to say America is a mission field, meaning there are lost people here too. But now we can emphatically say America is a mission field, meaning our culture is so heathenized, so secular, so full of mysticism and wrong type of spirituality with the New Age movement and all. It is so full of this that this country is a mission field in every aspect of the Word. And we need to, we need to approach it as such with the same care and the same love, the same clarity of the message, the same clarity of the voice. But these things are do Psalm 50, I want to show you these also. Psalm 50. It's a declared voice. They went out to hear John. John wasn't mincing any words. He wasn't looking at the crowd in front of him deciding what they would like or not like. He was declaring the Word of God. May God give us grace to do it. It takes more courage than you know to stay on track with that over the years. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens shall declare His righteousness, for God is judge Himself. You see that next word, Selah? Of course, the Psalms were songs, and that word Selah means to pause. It's an indication to stop and think. One time in the Psalms, the only time in Jesus, it says, Higion Silah. And it means stop and think about this. Pause. Think about this. God the Creator is Judge Himself. And He alone can do that. And then Psalm 97. I like this one also for you today. Psalm 97. Talking about declares. You see, I didn't just make up a word that sounded good there. I'm using Bible language for you. As much as I possibly can, Brother Brian, I've always pointed towards this, but I've even renewed emphasis on it using Bible language for the Bible. I'm careful to try to do that. For instance, I don't get up and say we believe in once saved, always saved. I say eternal life, everlasting life. I use biblical terminology. Why? Because the Bible is where the power is. And so, as much as is possible, I like my. My language when I'm preaching to you to be as bibbling as possible to stick with the scripture and what it says. Psalm ninety seven, look in verse six. The heavens, look at that next word, what is it? Church tell me. Declare. Declare, there it is again, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Now the question is, do they recognize it as his glory? Do you realize the blind eye, blinded in sin, could look and see what is God's glory and attribute it to something else? That's how degraded our, 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 uh, our condition becomes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows this handiwork. Being brought up thoroughly, secularly, and my mama would want me if I, she heard me say that, but we weren't in church. That was the reality of it and I wasn't exposed to the Bible, and going to public school, and having a somewhat advanced reading level early on, and being interested in reading things of a little bit more complicated nature, I thoroughly took in and became part of me. I call it the uh, catechism of the evolution. And all the pieces, how they have it laid out, it's laid out. As far as a system of teaching is laid out very efficiently now I'm not saying the truth behind it but as far as the system of t- teaching but I still remember it was the oddest thing and I couldn't figure out what had happened when I accepted the Lord started opening my Bible for the first time as a saved man young man that's 15 years old and I opened the Bible for the first time as a saved person with the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of me as well as having the book of God in front of me first time ever I'd looked at some Bibles before, but I couldn't make head nor tail of them. And actually, I got a whole one of these old blue ribbon, her tail blue ribbon Bibles that shows all the different progressions of the English Bible. And I didn't realize what I was trying to read was something actually written in Old English. This is not Old English. This is Elizabethan English. You actually have to translate Old English. And I'm looking at that going, whoa, this is a different sort of book. I didn't know what I was looking at. In the front of that Bible, they've got all these things. I wasn't reading this. I was reading something from the 1500s and I couldn't make head or tail of it for a little bit. But when I opened the Bible and started learning the Bible, it was interesting because I hadn't heard him preaching about it yet. I hadn't heard anybody say anything yet. And, and sadly, a lot of what's said is, is not said in an intelligent way as far as the Scripture goes to show people the reality of the Creator. And it should be done that way. But the, uh, I, I quickly realized, Brother Brian, it was funny. I looked at it and said, it couldn't be. They're incompatible. In the beginning, God created. As far as I knew from anything I'd ever learned about writing and reading books, that's called a thesis statement from which the rest of the document is built. Hmm. Then I realized it didn't make any sense. Order doesn't come from disorder without someone working on it. Time and chance together bring decay. Decay. Very basic laws. So to say that uncontrolled dynamics could bring about order made no sense. Neither did what is actually what they call biogenesis, the idea of life coming from non-life made no sense. But I didn't see that until I knew the Lord. When I saw it, I realized God was doing something. You know what he did? He was declaring something. I've always loved the outdoors. I do. Spent all my time there as a kid. We'd take off, head down to the creek. You remember days like this? Some of you old enough, you're, you remember when we could do this stuff. Take off and head down to the creek, and uh, we'd disappear all day. Take our Denny beef stew, eat that. When we got done, we'd catch crawdads. We learned after the first time we did it, pull the mud vein out, important or the real crunchy. We'd boil water in our Denny beef stew can. Put crawdads in there and we play like we we're eating lobster. Crawdads are not bad tasting. Not, not as expensive as lobster either. You can get one everywhere. By the way, if you don't know what that is, it's a crayfish, okay? FM, if you wanted to know. But the, we'd go run, play. I've always enjoyed it. I love it. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Last night, uh, we doing some work outside and, and uh, my wife's pointing out, she said, you see the clouds over there and see the formations? And we've always enjoyed that. Love it. i tell you what, there's a new splendor to it when you not only see what has been created, but you realize there's that creator behind that is the same God who holds you in His hand. And who loves you with an everlasting love. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. He's the voice with that. And then, I'm back in Mark. I hope you don't move from there because we're obviously going to be coming back there again. Then we see again in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I like that. The idea of crying, it's a message of passion. It's a message of intensity. But everyone who declares the Gospel does so the same way, dynamically. And I have fond remembrances of Brother Hill. He would get intense, but he, Brother Hill stood in one place when he preached. He didn't move around a lot like I did. He didn't raise his voice a lot, although he had to strengthen his voice with it. And I don't know if you know this or not, but his wife used to say to him, Miss Hill used to say to him, we, we'd take him to lunch after he'd preach here, and she'd say, Fred Hill, I don't know what overcomes you when you get in... They, he, she called me Brother Phil. They know me and my wife since we're teenagers. She said, I don't know what happens to you when you get in Brother Phil's pulpit. She says, you preach longer here than anywhere you ever go. And it's funny, because at home, about 25 minutes, he'd be done. He didn't do that. He preached here. So see, folks, it's not me. It's this. Okay, just it has this effect on people. But he, uh, <laughs> but he, he would get going about things. But boy, was intense! Boy, intense! Um, it's it's uh, it's absolutely amazing. The uh, uh, it doesn't have to be loud, but it's got the intensity of God's word to it. it, 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 it it's passionate with it. Now, I'll take it or leave it. This isn't a lecture hall. Not up here to lecture. Up here to declare. The passion of God's Word. You ever have that when you're witnessing to somebody? I mean, I don't do things exactly the same as I do. You scare somebody dead and knock on the door. Let me ask you. I mean, that's, you got your back some. But yet, does it not get intense when you're in your desire for someone to know the Lord? Or when God blesses you? There's an intensity and a passion to it. It's called the life. There's lots of orthodox creeds. In other words, they are written documents that have a good doctrinal statement to them. And if you read down through them and read what they say we believe, and uh, we believe these various things, you could sign your name to it and say, Amen, I agree with that statement. But there's something, there's a difference between just a creed and just something that's dry and dead and something that actually has the life of God in it and it actually has the passion of the Holy Spirit of God in it. There's a big difference. There's more to the old time religion than just a doctrinal statement. I'm for doctrine. I'm a very doctrinal preacher. But I'm going to tell you something. It, it, it is also a zeal and a desire for the Lord. It is that thing that makes you know that you belong to somebody and then it makes a difference in your life. He's a living God. That ought to be news to some people. We sing the song, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Well, if He lives, then let's be a living people. And let's rejoice in who He is. Why? Because He's, he, he's worthy of it. And so, it said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John didn't go out there and say, Excuse me, excuse me. I get everybody's attention. <clears throat> I would like to today tell you that the Messiah is coming sometime soon and you might want to be ready for that. He didn't do that. John, he's out there. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they heard him all over Judea. He shook the locusts out of the trees and ate them. This man had an intensity about him. He got fat this year, couldn't he? I hate to tell you, those aren't locusts or cicadas. But anyway. There's a message of passion and intensity. Here's what Paul said by the Spirit of God in the book of Acts when he was talking to them about his ministry among a a people group for, for three years. He says, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day With tears. Paul warned them. It mattered to him. I don't have this passage down, but he said in another place So, being affectionately desirous of you, we would have delivered unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Which is exactly what it ought to be. And so, here he has that intensity going on. In Acts 14, it says, It came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And here you have Paul and Barnabas. And so spake. And so spake. Don't think that it was eloquence and fancy words. It was the passion of the power of the Spirit of God in it. And they so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. I believe it was the happy coming together of the right substance of the Word of God and the right passion of the Holy Spirit's zeal that they so spake. It wasn't just ordering words a certain way. That won't do it. And when they did this, why? Because there's a voice of one crying. You witnessed somebody or you just going through a list? I've seen people do it. Let me talk to you today. Point one. Everyone needs to know they're a sinner. The Bible says together, each other. And you can't get them off. The, they're going to run through that no matter what they do. I don't mind there being something to keep your thoughts organized. But for goodness sakes, you got a person sitting in front of you. you got somebody who has been kind enough to listen to you, which they don't have to do. And you have an opportunity to give them the gospel. Author not to be a concern for their condition and their soul. Crying. I love this in Isaiah 58, as the Lord gave instruction. He said, cry aloud. He said, I preach, you're noisy sometimes. Uh-huh, it's biblical. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. This has always been the declaration to the messengers of God, how we're supposed to do And so the message in the messenger is crying. It's, it's a message that's for prepared people. It's a message that's declared. It's a message that has passion and intensity. And then look in verse 4 of our text again. It said, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It's a message of repentance. It has always been a message of repentance. And it is a message of repentance. Look in Acts chapter 20. I want you to see this one. Again, not leaving Mark. Put something there to keep your place. But look over in Acts chapter 20. You're going to find here the two ingredients that go into someone coming to the Lord. Verse 17, Paul's calling in people from the various churches to him so he can speak to them. It says, "...and from Miletus is the name of a place. he sent to Ephesus." that's the city to which the book of Ephesians was written to the churches there, and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. In other words, he said, My life's an open book. You know, I've behaved, what I've done. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Well, that'd be good, wouldn't it? And with many tears and temptations which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Look at it. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And there has always been God's way. Repentance towards God. You coming to a point of agreeing with God about your condition before God. That you have a need of Him. And then that will lead you to faith in Jesus Christ that He is the one who's made the way for you to have standing with God and be right with God. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John came preaching repentance. It's a message of repentance. It's always been a message of repentance. We have grace, which is one of the greatest things in the world. We have grace being mistaught and mispreached to the undoing of its nobility, its power, its dignity. The word grace is being thrown out and it should be the word licentiousness or license. Do whatever you want. Act however you want. Look however you want. Talk however you want. And grace covers. The message, as it goes out like that, this never includes repentance. Somebody said, Jesus saved me, but saved you from what? Why did you need saved? And many, many are the people I'm running into who are just like that young man that we talked to. Who really aren't, don't think they're that bad. They just think Jesus followed a path further down the road than they did. And so they can learn some things from Him like an instructor and so reform their lives thereby still trusting in their own righteousness and so gain God's favor that way. Never is the language there about our totally lost condition before a holy God. Without real repentance there isn't real faith. Because real faith is in the Savior who saves us beyond our own power. And in spite of our broken condition. There's a man who attended our church for a good while and then sporadically after he didn't come regularly and see him in town. He's still a friendly fellow. When I would talk to him personally about his salvation, he was always talking to me. He'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I know I'm saved," And it, that's what he did He'd kind of dismiss it. It kind of worried me about it. And then as he would keep talking invariably, invariably, this was a conversation. Oh, I just have great faith. I've just got a lot of faith. Oh, even my people who meet me know I'm a person of great faith. And I had one of my coworkers workers say, boy, you're a person of great faith. Oh, how I fear for that man's soul. Because every time he's supposed to be testifying of being saved and what the Lord's done for him, instead he's testifying about how good he is. God's the one who knows, but the evidence I see is scary for him. No, it's not your great faith or my great faith. Our faith is mixed with doubt. Our most believing days have the clouds of doubt in them. We're housed in this heavy clay, and we only see in part. It's where our faith is placed it's Christ. He has done what He said He would do, and He's worthy of our belief. There will be days when we don't even know if we believe. But he remains faithful. May all our trust, may all our righteousness be in him, not in ourselves. Let me show you another. I love this. Look in verse six through eight. And John was clothed with camel's hair. Those are woolly critters. And with a girdle of his skin about his loins, he had this leather thing he wore. And he had rough garments. He so said, why do he do that? He's out in the desert. Guess what doesn't hold up out in those kind of conditions? Fancy clothes. I like to go hiking and such. I don't do that in these clothes. <laughs> it would be bad, detrimental. A girdle of skin about his loins. He did eat locusts. He said... Why does that? I still remember a little liberal, and I'm saying that in every sense of the word correctly, liberal Bible college. I attended for one year before I transferred out. <laughs> I remember one of our professors doing everything but turning a somersault trying to explain what locusts were. Let me let me clue you in. Big grasshoppers. That's what they are. They eat green things. Locusts. He ate locusts. Well, you didn't actually eat bugs. Well you did. Sorry if that bugs you, but he did. There are a lot of places where people eat bugs, you know that? You ride a motorcycle without a windscreen, you'll eat bugs. <laughs> I swallowed something the other day while I was on my bicycle. Not big enough, I was climbing the hill and I was breathing in hard. I don't know what it was. It never hit my teeth. I had my mouth open, inhaling. All I can tell you is it had very soft, fluffy wings, because that's all I felt, hit the back of my throat. The rest of the ride was me making a lot of gross noises. Um, <laughs> He ate locusts. See? (laughs) It's contagious. (laughs) That's that's called an induced reflex. Um, He did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, there cometh one mightier than I after me. Now, this is the first prophet they've seen in 400 years. And he's immediately saying, there's somebody a lot better come along. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So He points to these things. Or someone to get me a little stack of neatly done tissues over here. The tissue person's gone right now and I keep forgetting to. But the... Uh, not right this moment, but for the services. The messenger... I put these three statements down. He was simple, he was durable, and he was direct. The message... Simple, durable, and direct. Today marks my 30th year standing before you and opening the Word of God as your pastor. The message with, with which I came as a 27 year old young man, two weeks from being 28, is the same message I give you now. It's simple, it's durable, and it's direct. My pastor called me and yesterday and he talked. He said, you were just on my mind. I said, well, I wonder if it's anniversary. He said, I didn't know that. And we talked a minute. And he said, been there that long? I said, "I said, God bless my people. He said, seems like they ought to get a crown or something for that. And I said, yeah, it does. <laughs> I, said, They're, I said, but they match the message. They're simple, durable, and direct. So it's good. <laughs> I like that. You know. And I got under conviction of sin and I started riding my bicycle up to the little town of Gratis, Ohio. I rode up and went to a different old church. I couldn't get a straight answer out of anybody. I sat in the one United Brethren church week after week. The guy got up and read out of the the Kenneth Taylor's uh, uh, mess he did. It it wasn't even a translation paraphrase. Good news for modern man. It wasn't. And... uh, He'd, he'd read his little thing, give his little homily, be done. I'm sitting back here. I'm a teenage boy sitting back here, my Afro going, you know, the whole thing. I'm sitting back here in the back row going, I'm not getting anything out of this. What in the world? Man, my heart, the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what was going on. He's convicted me, you know. I'm riding my bicycle there on Sunday morning. We weren't church-going people. I'm riding my bicycle there. Trying to hear something. Never the gospel. Man didn't even know he was saved. I went back and witnessed to him after I got saved. Never the gospel. Went around, these little fly-by-night things. Never the gospel. Oh, there was worship and there was all this. Never the gospel. <laughs> that good day in 1980. Boy, was it simple. You must be born again. Boy, was it durable. It's with me to this day. Man was a direct. I've always appreciated that. I don't like being messed with. And I sure don't want somebody tap dancing around when my soul's at stake. John, you didn't have to wonder. His message. And the messenger matched the message. In fact, later on, Jesus asked the people, He said, what went you out in the wilderness for to see? He was talking to them about going to see John. He said, you go to see a reed shaking with the wind? If you don't know what that is, maybe you've never been along a creek line where reeds grow, they make a sound. In fact, it's a pretty neat sound, actually, and they make it when you walk through. He said, Did you just hear something make a sound? He said, did you go to see someone dressed in fancy or good clothing? I'm, I'm not quoting directly on that. He said, these that are in soft clothing are in king's houses. He said, what went out you to see? He said, a prophet, and yea, more than a prophet. In other words, the man was simple. He was durable and he was direct. That's the way the truth of God is. I put these scriptures down for you. Please listen attentively. One I like to quote because it's so applicable in so many places. Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. I cannot tell you, Andrew, how many times... That verse has brought me back on track. That verse has kept me on focus. That verse has made me turn away from flash and glitter and things that pull on you and the the various uh, pressures that come in the ministry this way or that way and this idea and that idea. No! Get back to the simple gospel. No! Get back. Don't let your mind be corrupted. Stay with Christ. Stay with the gospel. Stay with the Bible. Just stay right on course. And that's like a beacon in a dark night, that verse is to me. Comes back. I love this in Jude. And of course, first chapter, only one chapter, but verse three it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. It's not re delivered and re delivered and reinvented in each generation figuring it out. One time it was delivered, and then it's supposed to be perpetuated came from God. It was perfect when it came. So why isn't it redone? Because it was perfect when it came. It came from God. There's a couple of things. My wife likes to experiment some with foods, and she's a very good cook. She's, she's a naturally good cook. She's cooked full meals since she was a very small girl. And it's something she's always enjoyed doing. She's cooked for the whole household when she was very young. And, and she likes it. And I like the fact she likes it. And uh, she likes to do that. But every now and then, she just did this. She, we, we had cabbage rolls. How I many of you like, like cabbage rolls? You right? either like me. I like cabbage rolls. And uh, we had cabbage rolls. And she said, I'm going to try something with a little bit of the thing I make. And she made a cabbage roll casserole. Anybody ever heard of that? Now, I'm not one for, I, I don't, you know. Every now and then, somebody meaning, well, if I'll say I like something. They try to tell me how it's made. Just Please don't waste either of our time on that. I'm not going to cook it, and I don't care how it's made. I just want to know if it tastes good. All right? But it's, uh, <laughs> and I know some of you enjoy that. We'll enjoy that. Just don't pull me into enjoying that because I want to enjoy that. Um, but it is, um, she said, I've got this cabbage roll casserole, and she said, gonna try that. And so, I ate some of that, and I ate some of that, and I ate some of that, and I ate some of that. And uh, she said, do you like know, it? I said, man, that is really good. Well, it's the same ingredients, apparently. And uh, I said, that's really good. And she said, well, that's really a lot faster because, you know, the cabbage rolls, you got to do the roll. And I looked at her. She goes, what? I said, I don't want to not ever say cabbage roll again. <laughs> and she says, I'll figure your cabbage rolls. I said, we can have that every now and then, but I like having cabbage rolls. They're, they're just neat. I like them. Isn't presentation important? when you're doing culinary, yeah, uh-oh. I like the cabbage. You know, what? Uh, something's good when you start with it, you don't have to change it around. Every now and then she'll tweak something and I'm like, what'd you do? Well, I thought I'd try, why? Do a new dish but don't take an oldie, oldie, goodie and change that thing. Uh-uh. No, no. Yeah, I like it do that. So anyway, you can imagine, you all can pray for my wife. She has to put up with me. Um, but, the, well, she doesn't have to but she chooses to for which I'm grateful. Um, but when something started right, as the message did about Christ and the Bible, where nothing needs changed on it, we don't need a new message for a new age. You say, Well, times have changed, <laughs> and they'll change again. They and Dirty Socks have that in common. Say it's a more advanced stage, really. You ever try to get change if the electricity's out somewhere? Well, we're just much more knowledgeable. I might not debate you on that one. Because Daniel says, In time of the end, men shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So I give you that point. We do have more knowledge. But not wisdom. Not understanding. One of the laments of a man who had been in our Apollo programs After having much troubles in his life, he made the statement, he said, they taught us how to walk on the moon, but not how to live on the earth. The everyday things of life were beyond someone who had to have such skills to be able to be a part of that, and, and undoubtedly the intellect that was involved in it. Very admirable things, but yet there's something that's durable and direct. Hey, learn what you can learn that's right. Learn what you can learn that's proper. But always keep to the simple and understand that is the foundation for everything. It's simple, durable, and direct. And very direct in John 3. Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. That's direct. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things are direct. Only one other passage I want to show you. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. And we won't be going back to Mark again. First Corinthians 15. The messenger and the message. Simple, durable, direct. It's a message of passion. It's a message, it's a message that needs a voice. You gonna be a voice? I'm asking each of you, are you gonna be a voice? The reason why I'm taking time to look at you. Are you gonna be a voice? We have enough voices in this room to make a difference. Yep. Are you going to be a voice? Yes, sir. You can be a voice. If you have been a voice, may I encourage you to keep being a voice. If you've not been one yet, may I encourage you that you can be. You can be a voice. I need some people to be a voice for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, we're there together, aren't we? Let's look at that. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel... Here's the biblical definition for the gospel. I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Isn't that amazing? You believe something besides what has been preached about the gospel, you believe in vain. You're putting it in the wrong place. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, How that Christ died, look at the reason, for our sins, not our mistakes, not our errors, not our shortcomings, our sins. Willful transgression of God's law. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Not a resuscitation of a few minutes when someone had uh, passed and was brought back, but after three days. By the way, and before he went into that tomb, the Roman soldier, to make sure he was dead because he didn't want something going wrong and then going back to the governor, had thrust a spear into Jesus' side. And the Bible specifically says water and blood came out, which means the pericardium sac was pierced. And they literally, had no way of surviving that wound. And that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. That's pretty good testimony. Were you a sheriff's deputy? Is that what you were? If you had 500 witnesses who gave the same testimony, would that stand up pretty good? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be, usually you can't get two the degree or one of the degrees in a traffic accident or something. Yep, probably so. All right. He was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto the present but some are fallen asleep. Which of course is the beautiful scriptural way saying they had, they had passed on, they had died but as God's children they're safe with the Lord. Simple. Don't get fancy. People can ask you more questions than they have capacity for answers. Think on that one a minute. People spend all the time trying to chop all the branches and knock down all the top of the weeds and won't get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is this. We're sinful people who need the Lord. That's the root of the problem. You can take care of the root. The rest of it can be cared for. You don't care to take care of the root, you're going to be chopping limbs the rest of your life and never make it. Simple. Durable. Direct. May God give you grace to be a voice for Him today. Not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray together, all right?